You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Alan Chews is the book reviewer for National Public Radio. His latest novel is To Catch the Lightning. His latest book is a collection of travel essays titled A Trance After Breakfast. Thank you for joining me, Alan. Hey, again, a pleasure, Rick. Alan, we've got three very, very interesting books to talk about today. Um, You know, the first one I thought we might talk about is Matterhorn. Yes. Um, Certainly one of the most striking books I've read for quite a long time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a really powerful uh, recreation of a world, I think, that most of us just cannot possibly imagine. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, the, uh, the uh, contest between which is worse, not fighting or firefights is really extraordinary. They, just the sheer physical uh, discomfort yielding to torture in between the firefights is extraordinary. Uh, the firefights themselves are uh, horrendous. It's a novel set in Vietnam in 1967, and this is when the author, uh, Carl Marlantis, he was a, a Rhodes Scholar at Cambridge, wasn't he? Mm-hmm, yeah, and, and a decorated Marine combat veteran. And he, he decided to to step out of college and became an infantryman, uh, 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 Let's see, a lieutenant. He had his own uh, troop, or own platoon, uh, one of three uh, stationed on a sheared-off mountain in the middle of the Vietnamese jungle where it rains all day, every day. Everything is moist. Everything is filled with leeches. Everything is filled with mud, and every part of your body is rotting off through some kind of fungal infection. Not to mention, uh, it's actually, in in the novel, it's it's almost, it's in a little corner uh, with... uh, the DMZ, the demilitarized zone in North Korea, just to the north, and Cambodia to the west. Um, and there are tigers in the jungle. Uh, there's a, a scene in the novel where a tiger carries off uh, one of the platoon members and eats it. And then the uh, troop has, has to carry his, what's left of his body back for about five days. Uh, they have no rations. Um, they're running out of ammunition. They're running out of they're running out of water. I mean, there's one astonishing scene where the medics tell the uh, the lieutenant, the second lieutenant in charge of the platoon, this man named Mellis, who's I guess they can stand in for uh, the novelist, that uh, he has to decide whether to keep giving uh, intravenous fluid to the wounded or use the fluid as water to keep the rest of his troops alive. Just a, an astonishing moment. And, and they choose to use it for the living soldiers because they've got to plunge ahead. And there's a, a, a just a, a vivid and, and disturbing scene where they're standing there watching a plane come in and... and all of a sudden, this plane is very low, and it sprays them. Right. They think it's resupplying them, and it sprays them with Agent Orange. Which, of course, they're told will not harm them in the least. Right. So it's, um, 
I mean, it, 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 it's somewhere between the naked and the dead and Catch-22. Right. Now, that was something I thought, too, is there are so many interesting episodes in there of, of these kind of Catch-22 scenarios. And, and also, too, I thought it did a, an incredible job at creating the really complicated racial and class mm-hmm. and military politics and this social milieu. I mean, it's a... you you never think about this, but this is, you know, a bunch of young men who don't know one another. Maybe teenagers, mostly. Yeah, yeah, teenagers thrown together, and they have to form some kind of social unit. That, and there's some, there's a lot of politics in this, yep. too. And it's not that not left and right politics, but just the politics of, well, do I want to be the guy who stays, who's digging the bunkers, the guy who's out there uh, hanging out with tigers in the jungle? Uh, it, it's just remarkably well done. Yeah, well, it took him... 30 years, and I assume many, many drafts to get it right. Uh, he really did. And, you know, when you hear that a novel t- has taken somebody 30 years to write, sometimes that's not a good sign. Right. And he had originally uh, abandoned it. Well, he abandoned it a couple of times, and I guess he got some encouragement, and he gave it to um, to this small press in, in uh, Oakland, mm-hmm. the Leon Press, I think it's called, and Somehow Morgan Entrican at uh, Grove Atlantic got wind of it, and so they ended up co-publishing the book with Grove Atlantic. Um, It's a remarkably immersive book, and it's uh, so—there's one thing I I have to say is that for all the technological advances that we've made in the past, uh, what, uh, 40, uh, 45 years almost um, in terms of fighting, you really get the feeling that— the, the social dynamics, a lot of the dynamics and underlying um, situations are not that all that different for the guys who are out there in the, walking around in the desert as opposed to these guys who are walking out in the jungle. You, he's really captured a kind of universal, I think, uh, portrait of what happens when you throw young men together and say, here's a gun, go kill people. Yeah. Well, after the Greeks, anyway. <laughs> I mean, that, that, the Greeks were the... the the Greeks at, at Troy were the one single army in history that, uh, in, in which uh, homosexuality contributed to unit cohesion. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, I, I think... To... I mean, if Achilles hadn't mourned his lover Patroclus, he never would have gone back out into the, to a battle and, and killed Hector. But it, it, you, you're right about these. Uh, I mean, these are teenagers who are learning very difficult uh, life lessons very early in life, and they know they're fighting against North uh, North Vietnamese teenagers also. Um, it, it's not much happier for the other side either. We catch some glimpses of them also. So the book, I mean, the book is certainly um, one of the best Vietnam novels uh, that I've read, compares uh, quite favorably with a novel called The Fearless Man by a man named Donald Farr. Mm-hmm. P-F-A-R-R-E-R that came out some years back, maybe four or five years back. Um, as far as novels go, these are, these are the best Vietnam novels I know. As far as you know, literature about Vietnam, I guess uh, Tim O'Brien's now 20-year-old uh, Things They Carried is probably the most uh, beautiful literary creation. I mean, the title story itself is extraordinary. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, that's a, a kind of skein of stories, not a novel. And as I read this, I was thinking 
back to a remark that uh, Yale Doctorow made, saying, talking about war novels. He said, you know, probably the single greatest Vietnam War novel will probably be written by a Vietnam, Vietnamese American some 30 or 40 years from now. Mm-hmm. Because he's thinking how, um, I mean, this whole question of authenticity comes up. Do you need to have been a veteran in order to write the great novel about the war? And if you go to the standard, you know, War and Peace, the answer is decidedly no, because Tolstoy, I think, wasn't even born uh, for, I guess, 60, until some 60 years after the Battle of Borodino. Um, so, I mean, he was a soldier. He fought in Crimea, but he wasn't at the major battle that he describes in War and Peace. So it's it's kind of an interesting uh, lesson in how one creates authenticity. I'm reading a novel now called The Sandbox by a man named David Zimmerman, which is set, you know, it's set in uh, Iraq during the Second Iraq War, and uh, I picked it up thinking, okay, well, he has never served there, so he can't be good. <laughs> Forgetting all my my own lessons about Tolstoy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's quite engrossing. Uh, I mean, nowhere near a great book. It's a good first novel, but quite engrossing. He, you know, he seems to get everything right, or he makes everything seem right on the page. Uh, so finally, you know, imagination trumps experience. Um, well, I thought, too, when I was reading uh, uh, Matterhorn, to me, the first book it really mostly reminded me of was Frank Herbert's Dune. It's such an uh, it interesting. Was, it was such a uh, uh, otherworldly experience. There was not there was no point of commonality between me and that. It just completely created this mm-hmm. world. Mm-hmm. Um, and like Frank Herbert's uh, novel, it had a very complicated social structure that was completely foreign to me. A whole lot of language where mm-hmm. you there's there's a glossary and you really need it. You'll look at it. There's a chain of command that you're going to look at and need. Right. I mean it. It strikes me that this is a really great example of a historical novel as a mm-hmm. world-building experience. That, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. when those worlds have passed away, they're as foreign to us as something that you know somebody spins out in the far reaches of the universe. Mm-hmm. That's that's a very good point. Yes, I agree. Now, uh, I guess the next novel. Let's talk about from the from the jungle to the freezing ice with Lost and Alice Lichtenstein. Yes, uh, this is Lichtenstein's second novel, I believe, and it. mm-hmm. it's about a um, a, a scientist uh, named uh, Hunsinger, whose husband is a uh, an architect. He's as the novel opens, he's just crossed over the line from uh, Alzheimer's, functioning Alzheimer's, into a kind of dementia, and he wanders off and. Uh, it's winter, it's upstate New England, and bloody cold, and she goes off to look for him and calls in the rescue squad and forms a kind of ad hoc alliance with uh, a young man from the the rescue squad and fire department uh, who, in his own way, is a kind of lost soul. He's married a, a young woman. Uh, he's met at a bar, and that's gone very badly for him. And they form a kind of team um, trying to find this uh, lost man. Um, and there's a wild card character also, a kid, who um, 
I mean, we know the guy's lost because the kid finds the man dead uh, in, in the opening page of the novel. So, uh, and the kid is kind of lost himself, and how the three of them um, wander, stagger through uh, what is a, a kind of lost couple of days and come together in a kind of triumphant arrangement at the end is, is, is really nicely done. I, I, I just sat down and read the thing straight through. Mm-hmm. It's one of those, well, one of those kinds of books. It's an interesting uh, vision of a family formed formed by the, an intersection of three families that are not working very yeah. well. And, mm-hmm. and I think uh, I, I like the kind of uh, echoing mirror-like uh, uh, reflections between you know the different situations, how one uh, set of circumstances looks different from the perspective of, an, of another, and the three of them all f- kind of come together in this. And, and I think uh, a really interesting and moving and engrossing way, and, and a good plot, too, which doesn't, doesn't hurt. Yeah, I mean, she's a, she's a good writer. She doesn't she's not flashy. She doesn't call attention to herself, to her style, but uh, she just knows how to move a story along. And and it's a really interesting story. It's completely unsentimental, uh, which is really important in a novel that deals with this kind of material. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you know, uh, without affect, I think it's told very very in in a flat style that that I think is it mm-hmm. makes it. Uh, there's a real potential for this kind of stuff to turn into a Hallmark mi- movie right, material. Right, exactly. And, and that's something she, she uh, deftly avoids. Yep. So I, I recommend it for uh, an afternoon or two. Now, our, our third book, uh, uh, Michael Gruber, he does something very interesting with the thriller kind of formula. We're used to thrillers where um, you're introduced to... Uh, uh, Essentially, somebody who's like Buckaroo Bonsai. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's a—it's a man. He's a surgeon, brain surgeon. He's a rock star, and he's a scientist inventor. And he's a—you know—a mountain climber who can, you know, walk up walls. And, and uh, Gruber turns this completely upside down and gives us a female character with a, a, a set of abilities that are equally fantastic, but all well fitted and well defined. Yes, quite. Quite remarkable. If you put her biography on the page, it's going to look uh, awfully odd. Daughter of the circus, <laughs> <laughs> who uh, marries into a, a, a very uh, highly elite uh, Pashtun family from Pakistan, uh, speaks, learns the language, and uh, is a practicing Catholic when she isn't a practicing Muslim, depending on where she happens to be at the time, with a deep sense of uh, of uh, scripture, uh, both from the Bible and the Quran, and uh, and she has a child who uh, is one of the main characters, uh, a, uh, a a trooper named Theo, who is raised up until a certain point as a as a uh, Pashtun kid who gets tied up with the uh, Islamist uh, uh, fighters against the the Russians and becomes a hero before he's ten years old. <laughs> uh, so it seems it, it it's uh, it seems kind of absurd and impossible. But Gruber's such a good uh, narrator, mm-hmm. such a good novelist. He makes it all seem very plausible. Uh, doesn't allow any of the Pros to get away from him, and, he's, and uh, he's calm and cool. Whether he's writing about the 
the uh, the son CEO or the mother or uh, you know any of the uh, the uh, insurgents that that she describes in great detail that he describes in great detail. Uh, I mean, and and as the plot unfolds, you just hold the book in your hands and think, well, yes, that's of course. I didn't see that coming, and then you know, a couple of chapters later, you, you're saying the same thing. Of course, how could I not have seen that coming? But here it is, and it caught me uh, right almost down to the last couple of pages. And he's a, a does a great job, I think, at delivering a backstory. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of great history here. I mean, you feel like you're learning stuff, whether you are or not. It's it's he makes all this information really entertaining. And yeah, it into I the mean the the, the, the uh, that you the, really the, enjoy it. Yeah, I mean because you well the the main plot I think we can say is that uh, the mother is kidnapped by insurgents in uh, in uh, northwest uh, Pakistan when arranging a peace conference. Right, and the son uh, concocts this uh, oddly successful plan to rescue her by. Uh, Faking uh, a series of phone calls that allows some uh, defense intelligence agency and CIA uh, folks to believe that there's uh, a couple of nukes that are uh, coming into play among the insurgents in northwest Pakistan. So, I mean, as you say, the lore is, you know, is really terrific. I mean, the lore about the the, the our spy agencies is just fabulous. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it, 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 who knows what they're really like, but you're convinced as you read that this is what it's really like, and it's really rather frightening. He, he, he writes with great authority, uh, but doesn't uh, talk down to the reader, I think. And he, it's a, uh, one of those guys where he's so skilled you don't necessarily notice the skill that goes into mm-hmm. all this stuff, and that's, that's really important, mm-hmm. I think, with mm-hmm. this kind of novel. Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, I think we can say, um, oddly enough, you know, that the good son of these three books we're reading today is the one you should immediately pick up and devour as soon as you can, because it's it's so smart and so entertaining and, uh, and so, pertinent. Uh, so, so beautifully made. I mean, the, the, as a, I mean, if you're going to read a novel that's going to connect you with the danger spots of what's going on at this very moment in the globe. The, mm-hmm. the good son is, uh, puts a big red bullseye on that stuff and will scare the bejesus out of you, yeah. I think. <laughs> yeah. uh, with, with a few leavening insights, such as, well, it kind of doesn't really exist. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought... Uh, uh, maybe a little bit more frightening than uh, the powers of our own agencies. Yeah, yeah. I've been speaking with Alan Shoes. He's the book reviewer for NPR's All Things Considered. His latest novel is To Catch the Lightning. His latest book is a collection of essays called A Trance After Breakfast. Thank you for joining me, Alan. My pleasure, Rick. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.